Welcome to Streams from the River, the podcast from the River Church RVA with pastor-teacher Michael Kraft. I know you'll be blessed by the teaching today, so open your hearts and let's get straight into today's message. Yeah, we've been talking about connecting with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to, today is going to be a really pivotal message in this series. Really everything that we've been teaching for the last seven weeks has really brought us to the point where we are today. I wanted to do a message. Actually, I've wanted to preach on the Holy Spirit and the importance of his work in our lives for probably a couple of years, but I just kept bumping up against it and never able to really get to where I am this morning. And even when I thought about what we're going to be teaching today, the Lord wouldn't let me just jump right on in and do a message on the baptism and the Holy Spirit. He had me take eight weeks to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Because how many of you know, if you don't understand who the person of the Holy Spirit is, you're not going to yearn or desire to have a relationship. Amen. If I don't see the value or how many of you would say, if you don't see the value of a personal relationship, it's probably not something you're going to pursue. You might say, well, that's good for somebody else, but I'm not so sure about me. And so we took time to take a look at at the Holy Spirit. We saw that the Holy Spirit's not a thing, all right? He's not a power. He's a person, all right? And so I want to encourage you, if you're a guest here this morning or you've just been with us for a short period of time, to go back and listen to these messages. I've never really... Well, I don't know. In my years in church, I've not seen anybody take the time that we've taken to explain the things that we've done so that you can see the work of the Holy Spirit from creation all the way up into the book of Acts where we are today. And we, I don't think we've left a stone unturned that I'm aware of. So this morning, I, and I do want to ask you this, if you have any questions, please write them down or get with me, send me a text or something like that and let me know because I want to address your questions, all right? It's important for us to be able to embrace the truth and to understand that what the Bible says is true, amen? It doesn't always line up with our experience, but it gives us room to grow, all right? So how many of you are ready to stretch a little bit this morning, all right? I'm going to say some things that are probably going to stretch some of you. I might even make a couple of you mad. I'm not sure. I hope not, but (laughs) I'm going to preach the word as best that I can and to bring us, I believe this is, a, this is the eighth week, and eight is the number of new beginnings, all right? How many of you are looking for a new beginning? Okay, I'm ready to launch. If you like where you're at, can you just imagine how well your new beginning is going to be? Okay, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 1. Pray for me because I've got a lot of material, and I'm not sure how I'm going to cover it. Yeah, Charles, just help me. If I stay on base, I'll be doing all right. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and I'm going to be reading most of the scriptures, going to be out of the New American Standard. Jesus speaking to his disciples before he ascended back to his Father in heaven, after the resurrection, spoke to his disciples and said, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. 
The disciples had lived with Jesus for three and a half years, had experienced his miracle working power in and through them, had met the resurrected Savior, and yet Jesus said, listen, you need to be endued with power. For the mission, I'm getting ready to go to my father. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So I, I need you to wait until this takes place. I need you to wait until you're endued with power. You might think, well, I've got power. Well, how can you tell whether you've got power or not? Are you getting the job done? All right. I can be in my car with no gas and I've got potential power. All right. How many of you know there's a difference between potential power and actual power? Amen. God wants us to be filled with power, manifest power, not power that we just talk about, but a, a power that is realized, a power that, that adds something to your life that has the essence of God, something that when you're around others that they sense his presence. Amen. And it's not just about miracles. It's not just about signs and wonders. It's really about one of the things that we've seen. It's really about a demonstration of the love of God. All right? I'm getting ready to go into a rabbit trail, so I better stop. Because I'm not thinking of some place to go. And I better not go there this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. If you're interested in rabbit trails, see me at the end of the service. We'll follow a few of them. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. In the King James, it says they were all of one accord, all right? And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from under every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in their own language. All right, move down to verse 14. Peter eventually gets up and takes his stand with the 11 and raises his voice and declares to those who are hearing, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. There was something that was taking place when this mighty rushing wind came into this upper room with the 120, there was something that took place. There was a new beginning that took place. There was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. It was an endowment of power. We're going to cover a lot of stuff here this morning, but I just want to kind of read these as a text to get us going. Verse 37 says, now this is after Peter got up and he, he gave his message. In verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, this message, they were pierced to their heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what must we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Change the way you think. And each one of you will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. How many of you know we're far off? And for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Man. Verse 41. So when those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. That's really amazing. The Holy Spirit came in like a rushing mighty wind, filled the house. They all began to speak in tongues, unknown tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was such a a change in the environment and the atmosphere. And I mean, I don't know what was going on in that room, but it must have made people think on one level that they were drunk. There was a sound. It was probably the sound of joy. What do you think? You think there was joy? You think there was love? You think there was peace? Man, I'll tell you what, I believe all of the fruit of the Spirit were in manifestation in that room. And how many of you know the whole community came together and were in bewilderment, the Bible says. What would it be like if your house and my house were always filled with love and joy and peace? Do you think the community would come out and see what's going on? I mean, we live in a day-to-day where that's, it's not the norm. I mean, you can, I lived in apartments for a good while after I first got married. How about you? And I'll tell you, next door, I really didn't hear a lot of love. (laughs) I didn't hear a lot of joy. There wasn't peace that passed understanding. There was a lot of, a lot of noise. And usually the only crowd that gathered around was the police. (laughs) So I believe that the apostles and the 120 in the upper room, what they experienced on Pentecost, we try to put it in a whole lot of different forms. But I believe that if you just read your Bibles, it's really plain and it's really simple. What they experienced was the presence of the person in a baptism in the Holy Spirit. So what are you going to manifest? You're going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so Peter got up and he, and he preached this message. He was endued with power. Listen, it wasn't but a, a few weeks prior that, that, that Peter couldn't even stand and speak the name of Jesus in front of a servant girl of the high priest or of the chief priest. He denied the Lord three times, but now he's been empowered and he speaks a word and it pierces to the heart. How many of you know it makes a difference if you just, I mean, I can read the Bible. You can read the Bible. You can talk to someone. And it makes a difference if the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is there. You know what I'm saying? I've heard people sing songs. I've been in, in, in churches and I've heard individuals sing and they hit every note. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they sing just perfectly. You can hear them, but there's no spirit. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, it's like an opera or something like that. And I, I mean, I, opera's great, but I mean, you stand and they sing and this, whoa, you know, voice comes out and whatever. I, was, I, I should never do anything that involves singing. So scratch that from the record. But it's, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Individuals during the ministry of Jesus were healed. They were delivered. They were set free. But how many of you know not a single one of them was born again? Not a single one of them was born again. 
And Peter stood up on this Pentecost being filled with power, and he was able to, to preach the gospel, and it pierced the very heart of those who were hearing. You see, that's what it takes. It takes the Holy Spirit to pierce our hearts. And my prayer is that he'll pierce our hearts this morning with truth, all right? And 3,000 individuals were born again. I have never preached and seen 100 people born again. 3,000 individuals were born again. And you know, the Lord spoke to me while I was praying last night and said, you know what? Most of them were filled with the Holy Spirit too. Hadn't thought about that. Because Peter said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they were able to receive that same baptism on the day of Pentecost. So there may have been 3,120 filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you, what do you think of that? That's pretty amazing to me. So one of the things that we've said, and this is, is just a real quick review, is in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, it says that by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So it is the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into the body of Christ when we're born again, all right? And then Jesus, he said that I've come to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so Jesus came and he's the one who administers to us a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's really important for you to make that distinction, all right? And we've spent a, almost a couple of weeks going over that, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But there are two different baptisms. One is administered by the Holy Spirit, baptizing us into the body of Christ. The other is a baptism of Jesus into the Holy Spirit, okay? So when we're baptized into Christ, we're what? We're saved, right? What does that mean? We're saved. That's what it means, right? <laughs> we're saved. But you need to understand something about the word salvation or the word saved. How many of you know that, you know, if you go to uh, the dictionary, and you look up a word, you're looking for a single word that's going to best describe the one word that you're looking for. And many times you just can't do that. It takes four, five, six, seven, or a thousand words. And so this word saved means much more than saved, okay? It means to, to be rescued, okay? It means to be healed. It means to be delivered. It means to be um, to made whole. It means to be protected and to preserve. It means to be kept safe and sound. All of these words describe what you and I receive as a result of being saved. Most people think it's just a ticket to heaven. But how many of you know it's so much more than that? Do you know that even without the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you and I have everything in Christ that we need for life and godliness. There's healing in your salvation. There's deliverance in your salvation, okay? That's why communion is so important because when we get together, we put ourselves in remembrance of just what price has been paid for us. And not only were we redeemed from sin itself, but we were redeemed from the effects of sin through the blood of Jesus, all right? 
So on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came from heaven and rested on men. Came like a mighty rushing wind. It's almost like he's, he was in the starting blocks and it's like, can I go? Can I go yet? Can I go yet? I'm just, just waiting. Jesus has been raised, you know, and the Holy Spirit's saying, I know Jesus said it's not many days and the Holy Spirit's going to be, you're going to be baptized. And the Holy Spirit's just up there in heaven just saying, man, can I go yet? Can I go yet? And all of a sudden Jesus says, yeah, it's time. You can go now. And boom, like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit just comes as fast as he can. And he fills all of the individuals in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, and he's never been taken away. He's never been taken away. Now, I need to talk about something here because I don't know where you are, but there's three different camps of individuals when it talks about, when, or, or different theologies, I guess, that people have about the Holy Spirit, and especially when you start looking in the book of Acts about what happened on the day of Pentecost. There are individuals who are known as cessationists, okay? You know what that means? It means cease and desist. <laughs> In other words, a cessationist believes this. They believe, just like you and I, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, miracles, and all of that were necessary for the early church when it was born. But they believe that after the last apostle died or after the Bible was completed, that all of the gifts and the need for, for tongues, interpretation, prophecy, all of that ceased. All right, any of you familiar with that? I believed in that when I got saved. I grew up in some denominational circles, and that was that, that's what I believed. And, you know, the thing is, is that we constantly, we, ne- we really need to guard ourselves because it's so easy to adjust your theology to match your experience. And what we really need to do is believe the Word of God, and if, and if what we're teaching and what the Word of God says doesn't match your experience, don't come up with a theology to rule out what the Word of God says. Provide yourself an opportunity to grow in your experience with God. Amen? The Word of God is the standard, not the day in which we live. All right? So cessationists, they like to use verses, and Lord knows I haven't got a lot of time, but I'm going to give you the scripture reference anyhow. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 through 13. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, excuse me, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, Listen, who's, who's writing this? Paul, right? Paul is write, writing this. Paul, who experienced probably the greatest revelation of what we believe in the New Testament today, wrote three quarters of all of the epistles, said that I see in part. Where in the world do we get to a place where we say that we see better than Paul? You know, that we're at a place where we no longer need these things. I'll tell you what, if Paul needed the gifts, if Paul saw the value of the baptism and the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and interpretation and prophecy and so forth, if Paul saw the value of that, shouldn't we? And actually, how much more? Amen. How, how much more? All right. 
So then there, there's an up, another group of individuals, and they're called the continuist. All right. I'll learn in a couple new words this morning. I'm sure that you can probably guess what a continuist believes, right? They believe that all of the gifts and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit continued, all right, after the day of Pentecost, through the lives of the apostles and the scriptures, and that today we need and value the work and person of the Holy Spirit as much today as they did in the early church, amen? And I believe that's so true. You know, the Bible says that in the, in the last days that the love of most will grow cold. You know, we live in a society where a lot of people believe in spiritualism. I don't know how many, you know, people will say I'm spiritual a whole lot quicker than they'll say I'm Christian. Isn't that crazy? I don't understand it, but it's, but it's true. In the world in which we live is, is very, very interested in spirituality. But they're not very interested in Christianity. That needs to change. And you know when and why that's going to change? It's going to change because we're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to be endued with power so that the words that we speak are not just hollow, but they're filled with the power of God that brings about change and transformation. All right. So then there's another group of individuals called partial continuists. Those are individuals who believe that the gifts and tongues and so forth are in the church today, but it might not be for me, okay? It might be okay for you if you experience that, and I, I embrace that, but it's not for everybody. And really, this is based upon a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11, 12, 13, and 14, all right? These are four chapters that are written to the Corinthian church, and they're written on how the church should operate corporately, all right? It's not talking about the individual believer and your relationship with God. It's, it's what happens when the church comes together, all right? And um, I don't know if I can share. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4 and 5 says, For the one who speaks in a tongue <clears throat> edifies himself. I'll say edifies himself. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Okay? Say the church. Okay? Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. But even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. You see the context here? He's talking about, and you can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's talking about communion, how individuals come together and some of them are just, they come to the love feast and they're just there to feed themselves. And so people go away hungry while some are, are satisfied and eat all the cheesecake and don't leave any leftovers. You know what I'm saying? So Paul is talking about, and, and throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the importance of the body. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. And the foot can't say to, you know, all, all of that. He's talking about the body. 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about how the body functions best. 
He says, pursue love, but desire spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 14, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. He talks about tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. And he makes a clear distinction between the personal work of the Holy Spirit in your life and how the gifts operate in the public assembly, all right? You've got to understand that and read these verses and these chapter in context, or if you don't, you may end up becoming a partial continuist. You'll say, yeah, that's great, but I'm not experiencing that, so it must just be for some people, and if you do that, you're going to miss out. I'm not saying that you're not saved, you're not filled with the Spirit. I'm just saying that there's some tools in your tool bag that might be helpful that you're going to do without. Y'all following me? All right. So let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Verse 4, it says that when they all were, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Were the disciples baptized in tongues? Okay, what were they baptized in? They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have to ask that question because it almost sounds funny when you say it, doesn't it? But a lot of times that's what we, what we think. They, that we're baptized into tongues, that if we don't have the experience of tongues, we haven't received the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that they were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues, all right? So they weren't baptized in tongues. They were baptized in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak in tongues. Tongues was the indisputable initial manifestation of the baptism in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Amen. Nobody would dispute that. Even the greatest cessationists would agree that on the day of Pentecost, that the initial outward manifestation of the gift of the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. All right. So why is it that God chose to use speaking in tongues as an initial manifestation on the day of Pentecost. I think it's pretty interesting. I believe that the tongue is the most powerful member of our body, and our words are the most powerful force in the universe. So is it any wonder that God chose this vehicle on the day of Pentecost. Look in James chapter 3, verse 6. It says, And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. How many of you have experienced that in your life? 
Oh my, that tongue gets us in trouble. Man, you try to wrestle it. It's like, I'm not going to say the wrong thing. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to, you know, all of these things. But it, it, it ends, ends up flipping out anyhow. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks life and death are in the power of the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. And yet I believe the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. The Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. Well, I could tell you a story. I should. I can't. <laughs> I'm in a war. Listen, I'll tell you, like everybody else, before I got saved, I didn't have uh, the most pure language. I know, pastor, how could it be? <laughs> But can I tell you this, that after I got saved, I knew that I needed to clean up my, my, my language. I needed to clean the mouth up a little bit. And I would try in my own strength and in my own power. But you know what? When I hit my thumb with a hammer, just stuff comes out. And uh, I could pray and I could try. I'd get my own willpower going for all that I could. And it just never worked. It just never worked. But something happened is I, I, I stopped focusing on what I was saying and I began focusing on the Holy Spirit. I began to, began to pray with my spirit language, began to just allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct my path. And guess what? Over a period of time, it just disappeared on its own. I never tried. I never tried. And I can't tell you, I'd be lying if I did, that I'm 100% right now. Tell me it's not so. How many other hypocrites do we have in the house today? <laughs> the thing is, it's the Holy Spirit who tames the tongue. What we need to do is learn how to surrender to the Holy Spirit. The tongue will take care of itself, all right? The only thing that I can say is that when you listen to yourself speak, you get a picture of what's in your heart. Okay, we get a picture of what's in our heart. So allow that picture to be framed and then allow the Holy Spirit to take his paintbrush and to begin to paint a new picture. All right, as you learn to flow with him. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about tongues. How many of you are interested? Cool. We're all in the right place today. How fun. So we learn most in the scriptures about tongues, this initial manifestation on the day of Pentecost from the Apostle Paul, who himself said that I speak in tongues more than you all. Everything that's written in the scriptures about this gift, the operation of this gift, was written primarily to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthians were very zealous, very zealous for spiritual gifts. You know, I would rather be zealous, honestly, and miss it every now and then than to be so careful and so protected that I end up living in a little cocoon and there's no room for God to even move. Okay? I'm just telling you, that's where I would rather be. I would rather be in a place under covering, you know, where I, in faith I'm stepping out and what I believe the Lord is saying and have the opportunity to grow in my experience with God than to 
limit God to a little box and say, this is my safe zone. So Paul spoke to the Corinthian church, and he was really speaking to to them to correct abuse and wrong use of the gifts, all right? And so this is where we learn a lot of what we, we know. So the first thing that I want to say is that the word tongues comes from the Greek word glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A, glossa. And it's simply where we get the word language, all right? So the first thing that I want to say is that speaking in tongues is a language, okay? It is a language. It's not babble. Hopefully we'll get there by the end of the service. It's not gibberish. According to the word of God, it is a language, Okay, it's a language of the spirit. First Corinthians 13, one says that. If I speak in the tongues of men. And angels. All right. So there's tongues of men that we know and we understand there are the tongues of angels, which I believe are heavenly unknown languages. I love Paul. He puts it in a context. It says, if I speak in either one of these tongues and don't have love, I haven't got anything. I don't have anything. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, for the one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. So if you're speaking in tongues, who are you speaking to? You're speaking to God. You're speaking a language to God, all right? So let me get really, really basic and define language for us this morning. I'm, I'm just this kind of person, you know? I had to go to the dictionary. I had to look up the word language. So y'all interested in a definition this morning? Here's, here's a definition of language. It, it is audible, articulate, meaningful sounds produced by the action of the vocal cords. That's a simple definition of the word language. Meaningful sounds produced by the action of the vocal cords. That's test number one. If it doesn't meet that language, if it doesn't meet that reference, it's not a language, all right? The second definition is this. A means of communicating ideas, thoughts, or feelings by the use of signs, sounds, gestures, or marks, having understood meaning. Okay? So, you've got something stirring on the inside of you. You've got a thought. You've got a a feeling. you've You've got to transport this thing from me to Mike. Somehow or another, I've got to get what's in me to him. So I've got to speak, I've got to use my vocal cord, and I've got to speak in some manner that is understandable to Mike, okay? How many of you would agree that's language, okay? So it says here, if we speak in tongues, who are we speaking to? We're not speaking to men, so why do we feel like we have to understand it? We're speaking to God. How many of you know that God can understand, God understands. What does he understand? We're in, when you speak in tongues, you're giving birth to the very deepest thoughts 
ideas, feelings, and concerns in your spirit. God knows those. And by use of action of our vocal cords, we're giving voice to those to Almighty God. Y'all with me? Might stretch your vocal cords here a little bit this morning. Okay, so speaking in tongues is understood by God. Okay, our spirit language. I want to share with you a couple of myths that people have about speaking in tongues. All right. One is that you'll start speaking it fluently on the first day. Okay. And you might say, well, Pastor, that's what they did on the day of Pentecost. Well, really? What does the Bible say? If you look in uh, Acts chapter 2, it says, um, oops, wrong place. It says that when the 11 stood and they began to speak, that all of those who had, had gathered from the surrounding areas all heard them speak in their own language, speaking and proclaiming the glorious mysteries of God. All right? It doesn't say that they were speaking fluently. What the scripture says is that they heard fluently. Each one of them heard them speak about the things of God in their own language. It doesn't say that they spoke. It says the miracle was what they heard. Like I said last week, can you imagine what, a, what 12 or 120 people in the same room talking at the same time would sound like? Do you think that you would comprehend anything that's being said? I wouldn't. And then let's say you got 120 speaking 12 different languages. That's even more confusing. Listen, the miracle that took place was their hearing. The disciples were speaking in unknown tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The miracle was what the individuals heard. All right? So the disciples and the early apostles had to learn how to cooperate. Can you say cooperate? Cooperate. All right? We've got to learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. In the natural, you don't speak any language fluently the first time that you try. All right? When a baby is born, he doesn't say, listen, can I have cheesecake tonight? <laughs> Man, that was a rough trip, but I, I need some R&R, and could I have some cheesecake, please? <laughs> <laughs> Stew. <laughs> yeah, bring some cheesecake stew next week. No, no, no chocolate. All right. So babies don't come out speaking speaking fluent languages. You know, when an individual is learning how to speak a second language, how many of them speak fluently on the first day? I've got some folks over at the child care center that are trying to help me learn Spanish. <laughs> I get a word a week. Gracias. Um, but, I, I, you know, it's going to take me, it's going to take me a millennium to get this down. All right. And so there's a spiritual language. 
And we've got to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It's not about learning nouns and verbs, but it's about learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I was checking to see if Charles had something funny going on up there. I'm sure that he is. So listen, many times we're afraid to speak because we've got this myth that says I've got to speak fluently, whatever that means. I've got to be able to speak fluently in tongues if, I, if I'm going to pray in tongues. What does that mean anyhow? You know, there's a verse um, in Isaiah 28. Paul quotes it in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, um, by men of a strange tongue and by lips of a stranger, I will speak to this people. I think it's the King James one other version. It says, by men with stammering lips will I speak to this people. So another myth is that, well, it's just going to jump out at you one day. All right. First one is, well, if I'm, if I'm going to speak, I got to speak fluently. The second one is, well, if I'm going to get this gift, it's just going to jump out at me one day. That's like, you know, that's like walking by the offering plate and having a $100 bill just pop out of your wallet and land in the plate. And you look and you go to your wife, hey, look, I've got the gift of giving. <laughs> you know. It involves cooperation, <laughs> okay? It, it involves cooperation. The Holy Spirit's just not going to come jump on you. And all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself speaking in tongues. You're going to go, oh, I got it. <laughs> and by the way, was that fluent? <laughs> That's a myth, all right? We've got to cooperate, in the same way that if you had the gift of giving, you would have to hear the Spirit of God speak to your heart, and you would have to cooperate, and you would have to pull your wallet out or your debit card or pull your smartphone out, hey? You would have to cooperate and go through the actions in the same way the Holy Spirit's not just going to jump out on you. We've got to learn his ways, and we've got to cooperate with him. Many times, we don't walk in the fullness of what God has for us because we have these mindsets on the inside of us that keep us from receiving what God has, all right? The third myth is this, is that you just can't control it. You just can't control it. And so, you know, one day you're going to be out at Kroger or someplace, and all of a sudden you're going to grab the microphone and and just start speaking in tongues, you know what I'm saying? You're going to be at work and something's going to rise up on the inside of you. And you're just going to, run, 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 you know, just like that. Some people believe that, well, if the Holy Spirit's going to come, then he's going to come and he's just going to take over my vocal cords and it's just going to come out. I'm not going to be able to control it. It's going to come at me at some time when I least expect it. And God forbid, if it's not going to be fluent, I might as well just keep my mouth shut. All right. Can you see where this type of thinking can keep you from operating in a gift that God has for you? You see? The Holy Spirit is our helper, and so he comes alongside to help. But it also involves just as much 
our cooperation, right? So the first thing that I said is that tongues is a language. The second thing that you need to understand is that it is a language of the Spirit, okay? It's a language of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit, in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. One translation says that in his spirit, he speaks divine secrets. Do you know that your spirit knows things that your mind doesn't know? Hello? Your spirit knows things that your mind doesn't know. It's a spirit language. And when I speak in my spirit, I'm speaking the perfect will of God. I'm giving voice to the very deepest groanings, thoughts, concerns, and desires that are on the inside of me. And my spirit that's born again and is complete in Christ knows how, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, to speak and to pray the perfect will of God and never miss it. How about that? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 14 and look at verse 14 and 15. Y'all with me okay? So, so far? I'm not even looking at the clock this morning. So when you're done, just feel free to go. I'm going to try my best to get this out as, as quickly and efficiently as I can. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 and 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What's the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my understanding. I will sing with my Spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. You see, it's a Spirit language. And I don't know, God in His infiniteness saw fit to to give us in our Spirit a language that our own mind doesn't comprehend. Isn't that wild? I mean, half the time, I don't know what I'm saying when I'm speaking English. (laughs) Let alone moving out into the realm of mystery and trust with God and trusting him with an unknown use of my vocal cord to, to bring forth a, you know, a communication spirit to spirit with God. Man, when I speak spirit to spirit, I bypass this mechanism right here. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, we only use less than 1% of this anyhow. We're not really operating on all four or eight or however. Right. But God designed us to operate 100%. I believe that most of our capacity to operate is in the realm of the spirit. When we were born again, we had the capacity to walk in the fullness of what God, we've been restored back to the same state that Adam and Eve were in the garden before sin. 
we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we come into agreement with who we are, spirit, soul, and body. When that takes place, there is a tremendous release of life and power, okay? So if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, my understanding is out. So Paul says, listen, are both valuable. He says, I will pray in the spirit and I will pray in my understanding. Can I say this? Tongues is not a mental language. It is a spirit to spirit language that allows you to, as Paul says, to pray without ceasing. Praying in tongues is the only way that you can Because it doesn't involve my mind, I can pray in the Spirit, by my Spirit, Spirit to Spirit with God while I'm doing my job. I can focus on, you know, I can focus on the depths, the the details, the, the crunches, the, you know, the things that you find yourself involved in, and I can pray in the Spirit at the same time. Not miss a lick. How many people only pray in their own understanding? Is it possible that your spirit has more understanding than you do in your mind in any given situation? Most of the time, I would say that's true. And so there's a tremendous benefit to praying in the Spirit. Your spirit language, and that's when we talk about tongues, that's what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about a spirit language, all right? So if I use that term, that's what I'm talking about. Your spirit language is a part of your armor. In Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about the armor of God, it says in verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. I believe he's talking about praying in tongues. Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and and petition for all the saints. And pray for me, too. Don't just pray for me in your understanding. Pray for me in the Spirit. Pray for me with your spiritual language in the Spirit, okay? Can I say this, that I don't believe that you've put on the full armor of God if you've not put on your spiritual language, okay? In Jude chapter 2, Jude verse 20, to say Jude chapter 20, there's only one verse or one chapter. Um, it says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves, building up yourselves, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. One of the w- most important ways that we can keep ourselves in the love of God is by praying in the Spirit. We build ourselves up. All right. Is that AT&T? <laughs> oh, is that Sprint? I my commercials. Okay. 
So the next point I, w- I want to make is that your spiritual language is the most pure language. It is the most pure language. And here, I'm going to share something. Listen, I'm not going to make a doctrine out of this. I just want to share something that the Lord put in my heart. All right. So if this doesn't hit your bat, then just, you know, like uh, Kenneth Hagin used to tell me, he says, you know, eat the hay and spit out the sticks. So, but praying in the spirit is the most pure language. I began to think, what language do you think that Adam and Eve spoke in the garden? I used to think it was English. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. Up until, I never really even thought about it. I just thought that's, that's really my frame of reference. And so all I could ever think about was, well, surely they spoke English because I'm reading it and it's, it's written in English. So they surely must have spoken it in English, right? That's right. He, he, he taught them how to speak English. Is it possible that Adam and Eve spoke a heavenly language? Is it possible that they spoke a, a spiritual language? They spoke to God. God walked with them in the garden They, in the cool of the day, and they walked and they talked with God, and God created man in his own image and his own likeness. And, you know, I, I wonder if, if they spoke spirit to spirit with a heavenly language. And if they did, then when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did their language change immediately? Did they eat the apple and then all of a sudden look at each other and go, <laughs> yeah. Did they speak their first word of English and say, oops? <laughs> See, what changed in the garden was the nature of man. Man who was created in the image and likeness of God took on the image and likeness of the enemy in the garden. Love became distorted, but, but, but they still had that, that created value, that creation in God's, in God's image and likeness. So Adam lived for 980 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Do you know that in his lifetime, he, if, if you look at a genealogy, Adam and Eve, well, I don't know how long Eve lived, um, but Adam lived all the way through the life of Methuselah, okay? Methuselah was Noah's daddy. And so Noah's daddy had about 60 years where he and Adam lived at the same time and most likely spoke with each other. I think it's entirely possible that the mother and father of all of the entire human race spoke the language that God created them all the way up until Genesis chapter 11 and the building of the Tower of Babel. Interesting. In Genesis chapter 11, it says, because listen, this, this is a pure language. It is a pure language and In Genesis 11, it says the Lord, when he saw the people building this tower, says, behold, they are one. 
They're one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Listen, when we come together, when a people come together and they have one language and they come together in one accord, in one place, with one language, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And so the Lord said in verse 7, Genesis 11, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. Wow, this sounds like Pentecost, doesn't it? <laughs> Often wonder if in God's way of things, if this actually did happen on the date of Pentecost. Pentecost was also the date that the law was given to Moses. It was the same date. And then 2,000 years later on Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit poured out again. So the Lord came down and said, listen, these guys are all speaking the same language. We, there's nothing that's impossible that they set their minds to do. We need to go down and take care of this. We need to confuse their languages. And so out of that, I believe that every language on the face of the earth was birthed out of Babel when God came down. Look in uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. This is a really interesting verse. When I looked at this in the King James Version, and I, I began to look in the, in the Greek, the King James has probably the clearest definition or the clearest translation of this passage from my point of view. Zephaniah says in verse 9, For then... I will restore to the peoples a pure language. I will restore to the people a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. Is it possible that on the day of Pentecost that God when they were all together in one accord, in one place, that the Spirit of God says, I'm going to give this heavenly language back. He says, I will restore. I will restore. That's, I'm going to give back. I'm going to put back into the hands of men something that's been taken away. Is it possible? I don't know. But I know that when we pray in our spiritual language, that we pray the perfect, it's the most pure language that exists. We pray the perfect will of God. We're able to express our, our innermost thoughts, feelings, concerns in a language that is understandable to God. All right? I'm just throwing that out for whatever it's worth. Okay, finally. Hallelujah. Y'all are doing well. Everybody okay still? Yeah. Okay. Finally, 
in the kingdom of God, everything, everything operates by faith and is activated by our obedience. Okay? In the kingdom of God, everything functions on the basis of faith and is activated through our obedience. Our spiritual language is the major key that unlocks the door to our spiritual life and to all of the attributes and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The whole Christian life is lived and empowered by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. All right? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? It's the evidence of things not seen. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says that we walk by faith and not by sight. So what is the, this is a trick question sort of, but what is the initial evidence of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Some of you are going to say speaking in tongues. And you're right if you're looking at an outward manifestation. The initial evidence is faith. Faith is the substance of things to hope for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Everything in the kingdom of God operates by faith. You've got to believe that what God says is true. And then you've got to put feet behind that and begin to operate in obedience, okay? So faith is the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit Empowerment is the evidence. Tongues is just a means to that end. And I believe that God showed the importance of our spiritual language by making it the first outward manifestation. Can I say this? When I was first born again, there was a time where I, I read the book of Acts and I, and I read about a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I prayed and I believed that I received. And do you know what? I believe that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit probably two years before I spoke in tongues. Okay? Don't tell me I didn't have the baptism. The evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an endowment of power to be a witness. Okay? That's what the Bible says, right? It doesn't say that the evidence of the baptism is speaking in tongues. It says that the evidence, Jesus said, you will be endued with power. Not the idea of power, but you'll be endued with power. People will see it. People will know it. It will be evident. Okay? I can tell you that I received a baptism. Something began to stir. I began to live out of my belly. Rivers of living water began to flow unction and anointing. I, I remember sitting down with people probably, gosh, it probably wasn't two months after I got born again. I'd read the New Testament twice, okay, in about a number of weeks. And I'm sitting in, in uh, my dorm at the university, and there's this little Hindu guy got up every morning, got his little rug and his little picture flashlight, and got in his little pose and did his thing and kind of got everybody's interest a little bit. So they're all talking about Hinduism and whatnot. I'm a little bit on the shy side of things. And so uh, I kind of poked my head out there and I said, well, what about Jesus? <laughs> you know, what about Jesus? And all of a sudden they all said, well, I've got some questions. So the next thing I know for the next three hours, 
I'm sitting out here with these guys, them asking me questions about the Bible and about the things of God. And I'm hearing myself speak. I don't even know what I'm saying. Kind of a lot like this morning (laughs) on some levels. But I'm hearing the Spirit of God speak. I'm hearing the, the teacher gift. It didn't just pop out one day. It it was there all along. God wrote it in the book a long time ago. And so I began to to just speak, and I'm thinking, man, what am I saying? But there's a a conviction. There's an anointing. I didn't even know what an anointing was. But there was an empowerment that was there. And I, I remember going to bed that night after speaking to these guys for about three hours going, man, what was it? There was something about those words. I, I tried to remember what they were. Next time I had an opportunity to talk to somebody, I tried to use some of those same words. Guess what? They were dead. They were as heavy as rocks. Because there's nothing about the words themselves. It's the Spirit of God. You see? So I, re- I believe with all of my heart that I received this baptism. But because of, of some of the teaching that I was brought up in, I would not, listen to me, I would not allow myself to speak in tongues. Okay? Remember, he's not going to jump on you. It's not just going to come out all of a sudden. It requires cooperation. So the day came, I had a situation that was going, I think the only girlfriend I ever had besides Melanie was breaking up with me. I was destroyed. (laughs) I didn't know how to pray. (laughs) There were things on the inside of me that I just couldn't put into words. I, I was alone in my dorm, and I said, God, I've heard my mama pray this way. I've heard other people. I just don't know how to pray where I am right now. I'm just going to release my faith. I'm just going to believe that what you give me is from you. And I just began to speak. I began to speak spiritual syllables, unknown syllables, in a language that I didn't know. Did I feel anything? No, I didn't feel anything. So many times we're waiting on, a, on an emotion or an experience. And do you feel something every time you speak English? Well, can I tell you, it's not any different in the, in the spirit. Are there times when you really feel the emotion and you, and you speak with a lot of passion? Sure there are. And there's times in the spirit that way too. But you receive everything in the kingdom of God by faith. And it's activated by obedience. I'll tell you one other brief story, okay? I was a, uh, I was a head of the counseling department for a large television ministry uh, probably 15 years ago. And one day, one guy called, and he was talking about tongues. He said, you know, I don't believe that's God. That's just gibberish. It's just babble. That's all that it is. And, you know, most of us probably would have tried to convince him otherwise. I didn't. I said, you know... I'd like to confirm that observation for you. 
It's just gibberish. It's just babble. Because that's what you believe. It's faith that takes the things of the natural and causes them to become something supernatural. Do you know saying the words Jesus is Lord does not make you born again? Just saying the words, it's believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that brings about this transformational miracle. You could stand up right now and we could all begin to speak in unknown syllables in this room. But if your faith isn't in the word of God, then it's just sounding brass and tingling cymbals. It's just gibberish. It's just babble. Isn't it just like our God to take something that in the eyes of men is so foolish to make it one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful arsenals, our tongue, right? And another thing, isn't it interesting, if you think about in your, isn't it interesting that in the church that we would ascribe something that God gave as a gift and come to the place where we attribute it to the devil? That's what kept me from stepping into the things of the Spirit. I was taught that this was over. It was, it ceased with the the disciples, with the writing of the, of the Bible. I was taught that if, if it did exist, because you had to come up with some reason to explain it, that it had to be the devil. It had to be demonic. And so were drums, by the way. We're looking for a drummer. <laughs> but I mean, listen, can we allow the word of God to be the final authority in our life? Are you willing to come to a place where you operate in the mystery, in the mystery of God Almighty? Are you willing to come to a place where you're willing to become a fool that you might really become wise? You know, I heard another pastor say, you know, he heard somebody pray in tongues one time and it was real kind of stoic. Ha, ba, sa, da, ki, bo, ha, da, la, ba, sa. He said, he was thinking, man, what is this, a Star Wars movie or something? <laughs> is, this, is this somebody from Star Wars? He's, he says, he, he's not even good at it. You know what I'm saying? He was just thinking that. And, and, and the Lord spoke to his heart and said, you know, at least he has the courage to try. At least he has the courage to step out and try. You see? And that's what I want to say to you this morning is I want to encourage you to have the courage to step out and believe the word of God. Believe that when you were born again, you became the citizen of the kingdom of heaven and that God gave you the ability to speak a spiritual language where you can speak spirit to spirit to almighty God. We were having Bible study a few weeks ago, and I said, well, listen, isn't it amazing that God even understands English? I mean, that's like me watching a little ant go down the, on the carpet and me listening in on their conversation and understanding every 
little beep, 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 that they say. <laughs> and, and be able to communicate back to them. Wouldn't that be amazing? But when we confine ourselves to just praying in our understanding, and I'm not diminishing that on any level, but isn't it nice to know that as born-again believers that God has given us the ability, not for him to come down to our little ant level, but for us with our voice and with our tongue to come up to his level in the heavens and to speak a spiritual language that releases the power of God and the spirit of God on the inside of us. Do you know there are over 600 million believers in the earth today who have experienced this spiritual language. And yet, according to some articles that I read, less than 5% understand the benefits or participate in using their spiritual language on any level. For many folks, they, they come forward and they receive a, the baptism with the initial evidence and then they put it on a shelf. It's like some sort of trophy, you know, that you get. And yep, I'm born. I'm, I've been born again. I've been filled with the spirit of spoken tongues. Yep, I did that back in, you know, July 17, 1968. Haven't spoke again since then, but bless God, I've been filled. And you have been filled. You have received the baptism. It's a baptism in the Holy Spirit with an endowment of power, and the greatest power is in our tongue. It's in the words that we say. That's why I believe that that was the initial manifestation. I believe that we needed that at the very beginning of our, our Christian walk. We need it every day of our Christian walk. And it's for you. It's for you if you can receive that. I don't know if you've ever heard a message like this before. This is probably one of, I'm probably getting right up there with Paul who spoke until midnight when Eutychus fell out the back window and all that. I'm probably getting right up there with him this morning. But I've been, I've been praying. I've been praying for this Sunday in our church. I've been praying for years to be able to bring forth a message like I'm sharing today. The Lord's held me back, and even when I started this, I didn't know that we were going to do a nine or a ten-week series, but I believe that the Holy Spirit loves you so much that he says, listen, I'm not just going to blow in here and invade your space. The Holy Spirit wanted to come and introduce himself to you all over again, and that's why we've taken the time that we've taken, is to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the, Jesus ascended and went back to the Father, and they're in heaven. But the Holy Spirit, where does he reside? He res we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We are the last day church. And I believe God is getting ready to bring another Pentecost. Another Pentecost into our land, into our community. And listen, we don't have the ability in our own strength, our own power, and our own might to change and bring transformation to our communities. It's going to take men and women who yield themselves to the Spirit of God, who birth through their prayer the will of God. I was reading this book by Dr. Bill Hammond called 70 Reasons Why We Should Speak in Tongues. At the end of the book, he puts forth a challenge, and he challenges every believer to pray for 30 minutes in their spiritual language every day. 
Can you imagine the, cha the change and the transformation that will take place in your life as an individual and our life as a corporate body and our community if each and every one of us spoke in our spiritual language for 30 minutes a day? I think I, I could tell story after story after story of things that God has done, situations that I found myself in the midst of, and I didn't know, but I began to pray in my spiritual language, only to find out, you know, uh, 15 minutes to an hour to a day or a week later that the very thing that I was praying saved my life or someone else's. You know, since I started this series, I've begun praying in my spiritual language almost as much as I do my natural language. Just in the last eight weeks, because God has taken something that I, you know, I experienced 25, 30 years ago, and God has opened up my eyes, and I see the value of this on a level that I have not, I've not comprehended before. And I just can't preach this as a message. This is supposed to be, this is the people who turned the world upside down on the day of Pentecost received an empowerment and they received a spiritual language. We've got everything. We've got the Bible. <laughs> We've got the Holy Spirit. What is it that's keeping a release of that power from being effective in our lives? I believe it's our ability to embrace the spiritual language of speaking in tongues. I do with all of my heart. And you might not be there, and that's okay. But that's what I believe. I believe there is an endowment of power. You, you receive the baptism by faith. But once you've received it, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The empowerment is to be a witness. To be a witness. Not do witnessing, be a witness. Our lives become a witness, all right? It, you have to have a place to start. You don't have to be fluent, but you have to begin. You have to, what? <clears throat> Exercise your vocal cord to produce, you have to, to bring forth an audible, meaningful sound produced by the action of your vocal cord. Does that sound hard to anybody? <laughs> and we do it by faith. See, I've prayed for folks, and I believe God's big enough that he can baptize anybody and give them the gift any way that he sees fit. I'm a teacher, so I do things a little bit different way. I hope that you have an understanding this morning that perhaps you didn't have before. Maybe you realize for the first time that, listen, you do have the Holy Spirit and he wants to open up something new in your life because the season that you're getting ready to move into is going to be the most powerful season of your entire life. But he needs you to talk to him. And he's tired of talking to ants. <laughs> he's inviting you to come and to speak in your spiritual language and give voice to the deepest groanings and yearnings of your heart and, uh, and allow the, the voice that comes out of you to have the same power that, that created order out of chaos like in the book of Genesis. Do you have darkness and 
in your own life? Do you need the Spirit of God to begin to move in relationships or situations? I'll tell you the best way to pray is to pray in your spiritual language. It really is. All right. Where do we go? I think I'm done. I made it, sort of. (laughs) For me, the whole heart of it is this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? You may have come in here this morning. I mean, I don't know. We may have individuals here who were hardline cessationists. That's okay. God loves you. I love you. It doesn't change the truth. <laughs> Why do we change our posture when somebody doesn't agree with us? It doesn't change the truth. My question is simply this is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What's he saying to you? What do you hear him saying? Have some of these myths that we talked about kept you back from just walking freely into an experience? When I had that experience some 25 years ago, I was all alone in in my dorm room. I said, God, I don't understand. I'm just going to begin to speak syllables that I don't know. I'm going to begin to speak them in faith. Can I tell you that that day was the beginning of a brand new walk in my life? For the four years previous to my experience praying in a spiritual language, I knew a lot about God. I'd read and memorized a lot of scriptures, but it was all stuck up here. The moment that I began to speak in my spiritual language, it was like everything got shoved down about a foot. And all of a sudden, truth that was just mental or intellectual was was in my heart. There, There was something that was far deeper than an intellectual knowledge. All of a sudden, it became personal. It became relational. The Bible says, or Jesus said, that when he, the Spirit, comes, rivers of living water will flow out of your belly. You see? So I want to make a, an invitation this morning. I'm, I'm not saying that you have to come up front, but if you feel led by the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come up front, and I want to lay hands on you. And we're going to release our faith and begin to speak in our spiritual language. If that's not where you are this morning, that's fine. You can can release your faith in your car on the way home. You can release your faith at night during maybe your next prayer or devotional time. But I believe that the voice of the Lord is clear this morning. We're wrapping up a series. Next week, we're going to talk about connecting with the Holy Spirit in fulfilling the Great Commission. Okay? We will have spent 10 weeks. And I don't know where we're going from here. It's like somebody said to me some time ago, when the opportunity of a lifetime presents itself, you've got to operate within the window of that opportunity. And so what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? There's a window that's open. Don't let that window pass and shut, because I'm not sure when we're going to come back here again. So what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? 
You know, the world is changed by the words that we speak. You're a product today of every word that you've ever spoken. Can you imagine who you'll be as we begin to give voice to our spiritual language? Think of the transformation, the metamorphosis that takes place. Uh, I want to ask you to stand. I don't know whether I need to ask anybody's forgiveness or not. I just looked at the clock. We don't do this every week. We don't do this every week. <laughs> Matter of fact, the Lord's been speaking to us about our service times a little bit. But I'll tell you what, when, when God desires to do something, man, you just can't put a clock on it, can you? Thanks for listening to Streams from the River from the River Church RVA in Chester, Virginia. If you've been blessed by the message and would like to connect deeper with the River Church RVA, please visit our website at riverchurchrva.com. Or you can send us an email, share your testimonies, prayer requests, or general correspondence to family at riverchurchrva.com. Again, that's family at riverchurchrva.com. Have a blessed day, and we look forward to being with you again next time right here on Streams from the River.